Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about victim care in the local church, but before we jump into that topic... Let me welcome you to our 300th episode. That's right, 300 episodes of the PeaceWorks podcast. And we so appreciate each and every one of you who have been a part of the PeaceWorks podcast, uh, whether it be recently or since our uh, early days um, of answering questions, of interviewing friends, and talking about gospel-centered responses to the problem of domestic abuse. We are thrilled and happy and uh, thankful for 300 episodes of content. And we're also thankful for you. If you've been benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, then I want to invite you to consider taking the next step. And we think your next best step is PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University takes the content um, very similar to the content that we talk about every week here on the podcast and, and expands it through conversations with uh, experts in the field in our master classes to um, uh, processes that can be implemented in your own ministry through our success paths to um, homework and info sheets and graphics that can be used in your ministry to our community, which is really what makes PeaceWorks University what it is a uh, community of people who gather pretty regularly for things like Q&As and shepherding team consults where we talk about cases, and there's so much more at PeaceWorks University. So if you're benefiting from what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, PeaceWorks University is your best next step, and you can learn more about PeaceWorks U at chrismoles.org. Well, on today's episode, we're going to try to answer a series of questions. It's actually a, a similar question that keeps resurfacing I know we've talked about this in the past, but we have seen an influx in a request for information about what can victims do when their churches seem unhelpful or unwilling or perhaps ignorant? Uh, What can a victim do if she's approached her church leaders for help and they minimize or deny her claims? Well, there's a lot to this question, and many victims are experiencing different aspects of this for different reasons. So let's just begin with kind of the, um, the the one kind of church, the one kind of church leader that gets the most attention in this area, and that's the hostile or the dangerously ignorant leader. And certainly we hear from victims regarding these leaders all the time. And uh, if you're seeking help from your local church and the pastor or people in pastoral leadership, have been openly hostile to the idea of discussing abuse in the church. Um, And you know this because they've said things in the pulpit uh, about abuse being uh, exaggerated or the dangers of false claims or the importance of submitting to one's husband even if he is abusive or they've made jokes about aspects of abuse. This is probably not a safe place to disclose. And your, your best bet would be to uh, seek out help from uh, an advocate, whether it be a faith-based advocate or a community-based advocate who can connect you to resources that may be helpful. 
uh, and I, I wish your church was more open, but if you're in a hostile environment, I want to encourage you to seek help outside of that environment, and that may be a community-based resource or another local church or a national or state-based ministry. Now, you may also be encountering some hostility from a pastor or pastoral leadership team that's dangerously ignorant. Um, And any form of ignorance, our best weapon is education. However, sometimes uh, you're not the one who's going to be uh, welcomed or uh, invited to educate your pastoral team. You may not have the capacity to do that. So again, I would encourage you in that situation to seek help outside of your local community uh, through community-based resources, through national advocacy uh, groups, through denominational resources that you may have available, but avail those resources to your team at the church. Um, An ignorant team who perhaps don't recognize, you see nothing hostile in them, but they're um, unwilling to help because of a lack of information or education, they may be open to receiving help from a third party. Um, But certainly if you are initially hitting wall after wall uh, or uh, the, the tone and the tenor of your leadership team has led you to believe that they're unwilling to help, uh, then we would encourage you to seek help from the outside. Now, what if they're sympathetic, which is also uh, something we're seeing quite a bit in the questions. You know, the, the first group gets the most attention. Those are the ones who are going to get the blogs written about them and are going to get the fingers wagged at them. And uh, we oftentimes get caught in the crossfire. And as pastors, we'll get tired of hearing how, how poorly we handle this when maybe we're even trying to handle it well. Uh, so let's assume that in this case, you know, they're sympathetic. They're listening. Um, they seem to understand the pain that you're in. Um, but they're still struggling to see the severity of the situation or perhaps um, unwilling to confront Uh, your husband. What are we to do? Well, again, prayer is always the first work, but I think what is most helpful in these situations, again, is uh, friends and advocates who can help articulate to the team what you're experiencing. You may recognize this even now as I'm saying this. You know, if you were to process how you're disclosing, it is a lot for your pastoral team to take in. Maybe you could do a better job of helping them understand what you're experiencing. I've had many pastors come to me and um, with the frustration of, we don't know what to do. Uh, An individual has come and said they're being abused and we don't know what next steps to take. And my advice is almost always the same. Well, what did you ask them next? What were you willing to learn? And that's really something that we can all help pastors do a better job of the abuse word or destructive or harmful or toxic or traumatic, all of these words can be difficult for pastors to digest in an initial meeting. So it is not enough to say I'm being abused. That's certainly a great step. But having someone like an advocate help you articulate ways in which to say, and here's how I'm being abused. Here's the ways in which I feel threatened. Here's the things, um, that have the threats that have brought me to this point. And of course, a pastor should be willing to ask those good questions, such as, 
help me understand what the abuse looks like. When was the first time? When was the most recent time? What was the most significant time? Um, but not everyone's prepared to ask those good questions. So if you have a sympathetic ear, being willing to offer details, timelines, histories, are going to help add clarity to the work that pastors are trying to do. So if you have a sympathetic ear, um, asking them to be patient with you and listen carefully and even seek help in how you're going to communicate this with them would be some first steps. But even then, we're running up against churches, pastors, leaders, helpers, who even after hearing the details, perhaps don't know how to confront. They don't know how to help. I guess my question to them, and maybe this would be some advice for you, is if they're uncomfortable with confronting, I may ask them, well, what would it take um, for you to call someone to repentance? What would it take for you to engage in confrontational ministry? Or perhaps I might ask this, how might, how might um, you be the most comfortable? What, what would need to happen? Who can help you? in this process, um, or even making recommendations for ministries like PeaceWorks or others who've done confrontational ministry, podcasts that talk about confrontational ministry and aspects of accountability, uh, or the means to which to hold someone accountable, which also seems to be kind of a, a hang-up. I think the other aspect of this question that's really interesting is um, let's say we have a sympathetic ear and we have a team that responds, a team that engages in an accountability process. And we're seeing more and more and more of this. And yet they come to some conclusions, the individual with whom they're confronting and whom they're attempting to hold accountable is walking out of path. They are doing everything that's asked of them. They are completing their homework. They're having good discussions they're acknowledging their sin. Um, they're owning the things that they have done and taking responsibility for those things. And now the pastoral team, the pastoral staff, they're excited. They're seeing change. They're hopeful in that change. And they begin to work on reconciliation. And yet, uh, two sides to this coin as well. Uh, we have victims, wives who are coming back and saying, yes, he's telling you this. Yes, he's doing this. Yes, he's completing this homework. But you need to know that at home, he's doing the opposite. He's complaining about the homework. He's taking it out on me when things don't go well, and he's still threatening me. And we're hearing that some churches are taking that very seriously, and they're returning and doubling down on their accountability. And we're hearing from some churches that are correcting the victim at that point and saying, well, you need to be more forgiving and, and you need to be more loving and leaning into what they're seeing rather than what they're hearing from the victim. And uh, really the only thing you can do at that point is continue to bring forth and bring forward what you're experiencing. Having a teammate would be helpful, an advocate again, who can express, here's what we're seeing, here's why uh, we're not convinced that this is a repentant person, 
but instead this is a person jumping through hoops and checking off boxes and educating, once again, the pastoral team on understanding that repentance is so much more than accomplishing certain things, than checking things off a box. That repentance is about real heart change, not just seeing one's sin, which is essential to repentance, but not repentance alone, and not just owning one's sin, which is important to repentance, but not repentance alone. For it's one thing to say, I see that I have been a thief. I acknowledge that I have been a thief, but continue to steal. You remain a thief. So what then must happen? I must see my sin as God sees my sin and begin to hate that sin and then turn from that sin and turn to righteousness. Using that same Ephesians 4 analogy of of when's a thief no longer a thief, it's when he's a generous person. So the, the team and the pastoral staff need to be answering that question, right? We see this person's initial desire to turn from abuse, but have we witnessed the putting on of loyalty and fidelity and trustworthiness and emotional support and the things that are needed? And have we discipled him in that? Or are we simply acknowledging and accepting his seeing and owning without continuing to hold him accountable to the hating and the turning? And we have victims who are writing us who are saying the church has been sympathetic. They've done a great job in holding him accountable. They've drawn him into this initial process. And while he's presented as if he's changed, he really hasn't. And when I present that to the church, some accept and continue to do the good and hard work of holding McCallie, and some reject because they trust their own eyes more than they trust what they're hearing. And then uh, lastly, I think this scenario is coming up some, and, and this is something that's going to be hard to hear for some victims, but necessary. And that is, I have uh, brought this to the attention of my team. The pastors have been sympathetic. They've engaged in a process. They've confronted my husband, they have walked him through a disciplined process, and he has engaged. He's done what they've asked to do, and yet at home, he continues to behave the same way. He's living a double life. He is not changing in the ways that I feel safe or sane at home, and he's attempting, in my opinion, to fool the pastoral team, and they don't see it. And we're having stories and disclosures of, so I'm going to give up. If they can't see it, then I'm not getting the help that I need. And let me just encourage you. If you haven't told them, if you haven't gone back to them and say, I know he looks like he's making great progress, but at home, this is what I'm still experiencing, they will more than likely believe what they're seeing they will more than likely believe what they're perceiving. And if you're not openly challenging and you're not, maybe with the help of an advocate, addressing those concerns, simply walking away is going to be detrimental both to your husband who needs the accountability and to your church, which should not be self-deceived into thinking that they served you well and you did not want to be served. We know that you're in pain. You've acknowledged that you've in, you're in pain. 
and we can get that it would be difficult to go back to the same group of people with the same complaints. But if your husband is attempting to fool the team while at the same time control and coerce you, then it's important that they know because he's not doing what they're asking him to do. He's actually manipulating them and lying to them. And that detail is going to be essential and helpful for them to do the job that they've been asked to do. So what's a victim to do when she doesn't receive care? Well, if the church is hostile or dangerous, seek help elsewhere. If the church is open but perhaps not helpful, then seek help elsewhere, but perhaps in a way that can educate, that can help, and maybe help future victims in your church. Maybe the church is helpful, sympathetic, open, and engaged, um, but unwilling to follow through um, and trust you over their own perceptions. Or perhaps they need to be given the chance because they're seeing things from their perspective that you can add clarity to if change hasn't really occurred. I know that's not exhaustive. I know that's just a brief rundown of this question, and maybe we'll step into it in a little bit more detail. Um, but I do appreciate the question, and, and I appreciate that we're receiving more and more of these. And I, I think the reason why we're receiving more and more of these is more victims are disclosing, perhaps, than ever. More churches are engaging, whether positive, negative, or indifferent than ever. And it's important that we have ongoing conversations so that the church can be safer, that pastors and leaders can be more educated, and that uh, victims, women, and children uh, can have freedom. And men who perpetrate these acts can be held accountable and can find redemption. Thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. Let the platform you know, uh, you're listening on know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. Be sure to check out our resources at chrismoles.org and take advantage of PeaceWorks University. Thank you for 300 episodes of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, God bless.